Okay, let's uh, take our Bibles this morning and turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews has been addressing those who already had an experience of justification and is continuing to show how to grow in holiness within the sphere of salvation. He's talking to believers here uh, in Hebrews, and he's confirming them. Uh, In verse number 39, he says, But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but those who have faith to the persevering of the soul, or the preservation of the soul. All right, so the Word of God is talking to believers, and once one becomes a believer... The need for faithfulness, especially to hold on to the gospel and his message, is vital. It's the most important thing. So for the present, we all have this great and essential need. What is that need? In verse number 36, where I mentioned last week, the need is simple, simply that the great character trait that we all need to continue is found in verse 36. For you have need of endurance. And remember, endurance is a word that means to persevere. But it, it means more than just perseverance. It means to persevere absolutely and emphatically. That's the biblical sense of it. And that means to persevere through the misfortunes of life, through the trials and afflictions of life. And while going through those trials, to hold fast to one's faith in Christ, that you never let go of that. That becomes the essential motive and drive for everything you do as a believer. And remember... We've already learned that trials force us to depend on God if we respond to them correctly. Trials are for our spiritual good. God is not trying to hurt us in trials, but is going to bring out of us the very characters, traits that the Spirit of God is building in us. Also, trials cause us to long for heaven. We start letting go of material things and the desires that are wrong and want to go to heaven. As you grow in Christ, your desire to want to be with Christ should grow greater. And you want to let go of this world and go on and be with Him. And then trials develop in the believer a proven character. It shows you that you're a believer. Not just a profession of faith, but proof that you are a believer. So all these things that befall you and me are leading to the goal of glory. They are preparing us to run The Christian race, the followers of Jesus Christ, are to run the Christian race in order to reach the goal, to finish, to receive the reward. So, the bottom line is, up until this point, the key to successful endurance is faith. The key to successful endurance is faith. You see, being a Christian means that we have been given a new new way to look at things, a new way to look at life, and that it is the end of life that makes this present Christian progress toward the goal all important. Our text has really been telling us only those who endure to the end will be saved. Saving faith causes someone to persevere to the end of their life. Real saving faith. That's what the Bible's teaching. That those who came in faith will continue in faithfulness. That's what's going to happen. So our breakdown of our passage last time was simply this that jesus is returning soon verse 37 of chapter 10 the saved will persevere by faith where it says in verse 38 but my righteous one shall live by faith and then in verse 38 it also says the lost 
will shrink back. And he, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. So the point I made last time is that you can be confident that if there is evidence, a genuine work of grace has taken place in your heart, and you have been growing in the evidence of a lifestyle of faith, then you can shout with these Hebrew believers, and you can say also in verse number 39, we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith. We are of those who believe and are saved and know it. We know we are. Now finally, finally we come to this great chapter about faith. In our time, in this chapter, we'll endeavor to wrestle down what is the essential, what is the essence of biblical faith? What is the meaning and essence of biblical faith? We will see examples of what it means to have faith, to live by faith, and sometimes even to die by faith, and then in the end, obtain life. So I'll tell you one thing for sure. It is, it is the kind of faith which is necessary to endure that he teaches us from here on in. And I've already put before you some of the ingredients. This kind of faith that endures till the end. And remember, faith is not mere consent to propositions about God revealed in Jesus Christ as his son, that he died, that he rose again, that he's come again. People can uh, mouth those and even say they believe those, and they mean nothing really to them when it comes to their personal everyday, day in and day out life. But to a real believer, it means everything. In fact, it is the opposite of swelling pride. It is the opposite of self-trust. It is... Humility before God, a readiness to conform to His will. It is a conviction deep in your heart that God cannot lie because of what the Word of God says and God cannot fail in what He promised. And it's a reliance on Him in spite of outward circumstances. And too many times, that's where we look. And that's where we get discouraged. Can't look there. Faith doesn't look at the circumstances. Faith looks beyond it. And so, according to Webster's Dictionary, and Webster was a believer, his original, at least, dictionaries, faith is defined as the assent of the mind to the truth of what is declared by another, resting on his authority and veracity without other evidence. That's a real good definition. So, see, for the Christian, then... Faith is believing that the promises of God are true simply because God says they're true. So because faith is the chief characteristic of a righteous person and faith links us to Christ, then we ought to know something about how to live by faith. Right? And so, this morning, I'm just going to get into it and try to wrestle down some of the things the Bible's saying in the first three verses. And so I want to look at what is the meaning and essence of biblical faith. And there are three ingredients I want to put before you in these three verses. And the first one is this, that biblical faith accepts God's Word. It accepts God's word. Look at verse number one. It says this. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, the translator had a, translators had a real problem with this particular word here. Hupostasis. Right? And because this word can be translated also in the scripture, expect it. It could be translated evidence, and it could be translated substance. 
If you go through three, four different translations, you'll find every one of those words there. Here in the New American Standard Bible, which I'm using, it says, faith, it says now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The term assurance is really rich in, his, in its etymology, and the meaning has really gone through the ages, through Greek authors and to uh, Aristotle and onward, but really it's the New Testament meaning that we, are, we want to get. To dig out an understanding of this term is really important for us to get the essence of what biblical faith is. Well, I want to say, while I'm saying what it is, I want to say, tell you also what it's not. And it is not substanceless faith. faith. In other words, the faith that we're talking about in chapter 11 and all throughout the Bible is a faith that has substance. In fact, the very word, hypostasis is really a word that means foundation or something that is firm or that which is, has actual existence, substance, or real being. Some have, uh, actually, it is a word that's used right in Hebrews chapter 1, but in a different way where it's talking about Christ. You ever heard of the theological term hypostatic union? where the union of the flesh and the spirit of Christ both, both come together as nature comes together in the hypostatic union. And really, Jesus Christ declares to us who God is. And so he is the firm, uh, real being that gives us substance to who God is in the Old Testament. That's who Jesus is, where it says in Hebrews 1, for he is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature, there's the word, and upholds all things by the word of his power. So if we view it from this perspective, that really I think the the New King James, King James uses the best word for it, and it's now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen, that viewed in this perspective, faith is something objective. That in the here and now, It gives the things hoped for substantial reality which will unfold in God's appointed time. In other words, that it gives faith substance. I'm not taking a blind leap in the dark. God's not asking us to do that. You may look at that passage of Scripture and say, well, I'm supposed to have a conviction of things not seen. But that's not what he is saying here. What he's saying here is that that faith that we have has substance to it. In other words, in the Old Testament, God spoke. And God has been working in history. That God raised up eyewitness testimonies for you and I, written in the Word of God, so we can build our a foundation for our faith. For example, if you take your Bibles over to Hebrews chapter 1, in verse number 1 and 2, it says there, God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days He has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. And then over to chapter 2, Look at verse 3 and 4, where it says, How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation after it was at the first spoken through the Lord? It was confirmed to us by those who heard, God also testifying with them both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to to his own will. In other words, God has done all these things to bolster up and firm up what we're to believe. So we're not believing in a vacuum. We're not taking a jump into the dark. That is not even, that is not even in the definition of what biblical faith is. And yet sometimes that's what people think. They think that's what it is and that's what it's not. So it's the substantial quality and nature of a thing. And in this case, it is faith with all the evidence that goes underneath it to hold it up. So when you and I 
live by faith. We're not living by something that I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm supposed to be living by faith, but we're living by very the very truth of what God said, the very history in which God said it and spoke it throughout the ages, the very testimonies of reliable witnesses, and even the miracles of Jesus Christ himself. Remember what Jesus said uh, in John, but uh, if I do them, he's talking about his miracles, though you do not believe me, believe the works so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Listen, if you don't believe what I say, believe the miracles, believe the works that I am doing. See, he's telling them there is something substantial to believe in. So, what is the difference in our passage of Scripture back in Hebrews chapter 11 uh, between faith and hope? Now, Here is something very important for adjusting your understanding of biblical faith. That biblical faith is a faith that has absolute certainty in it. What it believes is true and what it expects, or another way of saying that, hope will come to pass. So faith looks to the past in in some sense and sees what God has done, while hope looks to the future based on what God had done in the past. If God was trustworthy in doing all these things in the past, then that same God is going to be trustworthy to take care of things that we have not seen yet. But we know what will happen. So faith is looking backward and trusting what has already taken place. So, see, faith is not substanceless faith. It has substance to it. But there's something else it's not. It's not a hope-so faith. Our passage includes this all-important word, hope. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. When hope is used as a verb, hope and faith are virtually synonymous As a noun, hope refers directly to the promises of God. In fact, what are the promises already given in Hebrews? There's going to be a world to come, Hebrews 2.5. The promise of an eternal inheritance, 9.15. The second coming of Christ, 10.37. The promised eternal salvation and rest, the whole chapter almost, chapter 4, and an unshakable kingdom. He mentioned in chapter 12, verse 28. These are the things that we hope for. Do we see them yet with our eyes? No, we don't. But see, we hope in the promises of God that have not taken place, but surely will take place. It was not easy to study on faith. Matter of fact, this has become the hardest passage I had to deal with in Hebrews. These three passages. Somebody who has faith has hope. In fact, it's in Ephesians that tells us the person who has no faith set on Christ has no justifiable hope for the future. Where it tells us, having no hope and without God in the world. And yet, if you look at the world and you look at people, people have all kinds of hope. They hope they'll get married. They hope they'll make a lot of money. They hope they'll have a good life. They hope they'll get an education. They have hopes and they have dreams, but those hopes... And those dreams are really not substantiated on anything. They're not given any guarantees. But the one who believes in Jesus Christ is guaranteed eternal salvation, eternal inheritance, a promise of an eternal kingdom that is unshakable, which you will occupy someday. Why do I know that? Because God already proved himself in the Word of God and throughout history and through holy men of God. So the verb hope speaks of our response to God's promises. In other words, 
He offers us hope. We can hope, that means. And we hope in him. We hope in his guarantees. And we can believe them with confidence, with expectancy. We can hope in them because they have some substance. So the hope here is not, I hope so. I hope it happens. It's just wistful longing. We don't go around saying, I hope Jesus is coming back. I hope when I die I get a resurrected body. I hope all this stuff is true. We're not doing that. No, that is not what the Word of God is bringing across when it talks about biblical hope. A biblical hope looks forward with utter conviction and utter expectancy that what God says will happen. Period. It's not a hope mingled with uncertainty and doubt. That's how God wants us to live. So you got to get past the doubt. You got to get past the wondering. You got to get to the real biblical faith in scripture. Those who live in doubt, the opposite of faith, are essentially denying that hope that God is actually true. It was Charles Haddon Spurgeon, great preacher from England, who said this, I would recommend you either believe God up to the hilt, or else you believe you believe none of it. Believe this book of God every letter of it, or reject it. There is no logical standing place between the two. Be satisfied with nothing less than a faith that swims in the depth of divine revelation, a faith that paddles about the edge of the water of a pool is poor faith at best. It is little better than dry land faith, and it is good. it's not good for much. So, Hope depends on faith. Faith on the promises. And if one's faith in the promiser is absolute, then faith creates a conviction of things not seen, but guaranteed by the promises already made by God. So, Another thing faith really is not is it is not faith focused on the seen. Look at verse number one. For now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. There's a con- the word conviction here means that which is proved or tested. So faith does not focus on the seen things of the world, but rather looks to the unseen promises of God, our hope, and lives accordingly. That hope is a result of faith. If there is no faith, there's no hope. Because my faith has to be established in substance. It has to be undergirded by truth. It has to be undergirded by testimony, by history, by by what God spoke, by what God did. And as I understand those things... It gives me hope that what God did here, he's going to do there, even though I don't see that happen yet. But for the believer, what we, we have the conviction in regard to unseen is really faith in its essence, that they exist in spite of us not seeing them. We are certain of the unseen things as if we saw them. We are certain that we will be resurrected someday. We are certain that there will be a final judgment someday. We are certain that there will be a new heaven and new earth. Do I see them? No. But see, my faith in God, my faith in His Word, has given me the foundation to have a deep conviction to know it will be. And I will be there. Amen? He's setting us up in these three verses for the rest of the chapter. 
and what has gone before us. See, but that does not mean faith is blind. Faith, actually, is generated by the acts of God in history that are visible, audible, and empirical. R.C. Sproul said that. That we have empirical data. God is not bypassing our senses. He's not saying, listen, you have eyes, but you really don't see anything. You have hands, but you can't really touch anything and feel things. No, he's saying that faith you can see, you can touch, you can feel. It's real faith. It's got evidence to it. See, this book is a record of the tangible activity of God in the theater of history. That's why it's so important to know the Word of God. Why? What does it do? It bolsters your faith. It makes me strong. It teaches me what God wants me to know about Him. What He's going to do. What He has said He's going to do that He has not yet accomplished yet. That we're still in the the process of history unfolding. We're living in exciting times, I think. So we are confident as believers that those things that we haven't seen yet will come to pass because we trust God. Period. Now some people may not be satisfied with that. Who doesn't know Christ? But a Christian is quite satisfied with that. Matter of fact, that's where they live. And certainly, it's not always easy to trust. I mean, doubt and despair and fear continually work their way into our lives. And often through our personal trials. Even Jesus' disciples were were constantly rebuked by the Lord. Oh, ye of what? Little faith. Come on, guys. Didn't you see my miracles? Didn't you hear my word? Didn't you get what the prophets have said about me? And still your faith is little. God wants us to grow in a faith that is absolutely sure about it. Instead of giving in to doubt, we can stand on God's promises. Instead of succumbing to depression or worry, we can trust Him. Instead of being disheveled by what we see going around in this very unstable world. We can be grounded in what we can't see, but what we know is true. Isn't that what it is to be a Christian? It was the missionary Hudson Taylor who, in poverty, said this, We have 25 cents and all the promises of God. So may we express the same level of hope-filled faith. So when faith lays hold of what is promised, therefore, and then therefore hoped for, then we have something that is real and solid, though as yet unseen. It's like when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in the book of Daniel, gave to King Nebuchadnezzar, this answer, and refuse to serve his gods or worship the golden image which he he has set up. And he says, listen, if you don't do it, if you don't bow down to my gods, I'm throwing you into this furnace and we're going to just burn you up. And this is what they responded to him. Shadmak, Meshach, and Abednego replied to King Nebuchadnezzar, Oh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Then they said this, but even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. That's a firm faith. That's that's a faith that I want. That's a faith the Spirit of God wants to work in us. It's a faith that can face anything. Kings, fiery furnaces, 
And who comes out victorious. See, whether they lived or died, they're still on the victory side. Why? They knew who their God was. They knew His ability. They knew His character. Only that kind of person can give those kind of answers so firmly and confidently. They would be considered insane in our society. This is insanity at its highest level. What? And what? here's the response afterward. The satraps, the perfects, the governors, the kings, high officials gathered around and saw in regard to these men that the fire had no effect on their bodies. Their hair wasn't even singed. Their trousers weren't even damaged. And the smell of smoke wasn't even on their clothing. And then what does he do? Well, he does the smart thing, King Nebuchadnezzar. He says, listen, bless the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel to deliver his servants who put their trust in him. He recognized their faith, violating the king's command, and yielded up their bodies so as not to worship any god except their own. And here's his response. Therefore, I make a decree as the king that any people, nation, or tongue that speaks anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses reduced to rubbish inasmuch as there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way. Man, what a testimony faith is before an ungodly world that has no hope. I also like what the, the missionary George Mueller, who understood quite well God's promises and what it meant to live by faith, where he said this, that the life lived by faith is a walk with God just right outside the gates of heaven. That's, that's interesting. Sees heaven, sees all that God's promises, and just like walking around it. You can see, by faith... But I know I'm going to end up there. I know God is with me. So see, the essence of biblical faith is it is a faith that rests solely on the Word of God. It believes where it says in Matthew, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. And then in Luke, But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away then for one stroke of the letter of the law to fail. And then in Peter, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word I preach to you. The word I preach to you is a word that will endure forever past anything you can see on this earth or experience on this earth. So see, that first ingredient is simply this, that a biblical faith is a faith that accepts God's word, period, and all that I said that goes under it. But there's a second thing that goes with it. Look at back in Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 2. The second ingredient in the meaning and essence of biblical faith is this. A biblical faith gains God's approval. Verse 2, for by it the men of old gained approval. Now, the phrase gained approval really speaks of the public witness of a person's character. In this case, in the Greek, this is called the divine passive, meaning that it doesn't mention God in the passage, but we know God is speaking. God is the one who testifies to their faith. Now, wouldn't you like that to happen to you? That God is the one looking at your life and testifying to your faith, to your understanding. See, this is the kind of faith the ancients, it says here, for by it the men of old, the ancients. That means everybody who's gone before us, you know what they had to do? They had to live by faith. But when they lived by faith, somebody recognized it. God himself. See, the ancients had this enablement to endure through all kinds of difficult circumstances and situations right up until the end of their life. To live in this manner assumes that living 
in this manner, you have a knowledge that they, a person knows how to gain approval from God, from God in the first place and from the God in whom they serve and the God in, in whom they know. It is not a shot in the dark hoping you'll hit the target with a whimsical faith. No, here are people who knew whom they were worshiping and knew how to please the one they were worshiping. And what satisfaction to know God is pleased with you. Is there any better way to live your life than to know that today I viewed my life and how I lived it and how I dealt with people and how I responded to God and I'm learning how to live by faith. That is, in your circumstances, you are not living to gain human approval anymore. You're not living simply to get satisfaction any way you can get it. You are actually beginning to discern the activity of the invisible God in your present situation, in, yes, in your life, in your family, on your job. And you're beginning to see whether in adversity or prosperity, you desire in your heart to do the will of God and receive divine approval. Lord, I want to live in a way that pleases you. And be sure of this, God cannot be pleased when people are devoid of that trust in His Word and in His Son, Jesus Christ, whom He has sent to us. Look at Hebrews 11, verse 5 and 6. A good example. Actually, the very words that is, is used in this passage is used for Enoch. Look what it says in verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. And he was not found because God took him up. Look what it says. For he obtained the witness before that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And then verse 6, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. So what is, what is it with Enoch? He's taken up by God. Why? Because he walked with God. He pleased God, and God bore witness of that, and he took him. He passed right through death, took him. So you see that biblical faith is not a blind leap in the dark. It is immersed in the nature and the character of God in objective truth, in historical reality, that the people of God actually lived and died by faith. They did not shrink back to destruction, but they knew, they knew they were getting in a long line of those who had finished the race and gone to heaven before them. That's what it really part of, partly living a life of faith is knowing, what does it say in chapter 12? We have this great cloud of witnesses, right? There's a lot of people that have gone before you and I. Look to them. They knew how to please God. Find out how they did it. And then do it. Live that way. See, we have a lot of people that have run the race and finished it and went into the presence of God. See, it's our turn. In this time, it's our turn to live today by faith, to endure by faith, to believe the unseen, to trust God's promises, and to wait and hope expectantly that our great God and Savior will bring all He has promised to an ultimate fulfillment. Will He not? Changes things when you live like that. So the essence of biblical faith, it is a faith that rests entirely on the character of God. See, somebody who has a good report from God knows who God is, knows how to please them. Just like a child in a family, knows how to please their parents, and they know how not to please their parents. Unfortunately, they go the second way and the first way. Let me try all the unpleasant things, and then maybe when it gets too hard for me, I'll fake it. All right? But that's not it, of course, in Scripture. that We, we understand the character of God because we're growing in Scripture, and so therefore we are 
learning how to please God. It was Sir Richard Baker, while in prison for his faith, writing on the 103rd Psalm, says, In his righteousness he promised, and by his faithfulness he will keep his promise. There's one last thing, one last ingredient found in verse number 3 of our text. And it's this, that a biblical faith recognizes God's power. Now, this becomes important that it's linked to his word and linked to his character. Because, see, if God did not have the power, how can he pull off the promises? So, see, I not only need to believe God's character and God's word, but I have to believe that God is able to carry out to completion everything that he says in his word. Because it has everything to do with me and you and his church. So look what it says in verse number three. It says, by faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen is not made out of things which are visible. See, biblical faith has a spiritual perception that the universe can be seen but not its origins. I, don't, I can't see the origins of the universe. But see, a believer is someone who knows that the origin of the universe is God himself. Now, the thing that's problematic in this particular passage is what is the invisible source it's talking about? Now, some people in, in our day have said that it's... It, it is uh, that visible, well, is it the visible that has come into being where nothing existed before? Is it that? Uh, creation out of nothing, that there was nothing there before and God created out of nothing. Well, I don't think that's the emphasis of our context on faith. It may be used in another way, somewhere else, but not here. Secondly, Is it that faith that reaches beyond the world of phenomena to the unseen ground of true being? That somebody who has faith can see way beyond things and see the true true reality of it. I don't think it's used in that way either in the context of faith. It seems the best way to understand this passage is to take what cannot be seen as parallel to the word of God. In other words, God's powerful word, putting it all together, the sense of the passage would claim that God's word is an invisible power that produces visible results. In other words, when I look out at creation, isn't it there? Can't you see it? Don't you see the snow out there? You haven't missed the snow, have you? See, it's out there. How do I know See, it's out there. I can see it. I know the source of that, that produced that from the word of God, is God himself. So see, the invisible power is able to produce results that when God speaks, what happens? Comes into being. How does it happen? I don't know. Nobody really knows. But I do know the source of creation is God himself. I I tell people all the time, I'm a firm believer in the Big Bang Theory. I wait till they look at me with a puzzled look, and then I say, God spoke, and bang! The universe had came into being and produced visible results, of which I can see right now, and so can you. And you know why? You can't explain how it got here anyway. With all your math, and with all your physics, and with all your science, and with all your knowledge, and with all your schooling, with all your degrees, you still can't tell me how it got here. I'll tell you how it got here. God spoke because God's powerful. And when he spokes, when he speaks, his powerful word produces visible results. See, so I don't see that I have a resurrected body, but God's going to speak, and he's going to call us in the resurrection. And you know what? There's going to be reality of a resurrection body. I don't see a new heaven and a new earth, but God is going to 
take care of this old universe and earth and he's going to give us a new one and he's going to speak it into existence and it's going to be there and I'm going to see visible results, right? I don't see that I have eternal life, but I know I have it because, see, God says I do. See, the essential of biblical faith, it is a faith that recognizes God's power to bring to pass all he has promised with visible results. See, it goes like this. What is formed came into being. The universe can be seen. I see it. You see it. Matter of fact, isn't creation from Romans 1 speak of the power of God? Isn't that what it does? Right? And so a believer looks out there and says, wow, look. You know, matter of fact, when I became a believer, believe it or not, creation opened up to me. I began to recognize things I never recognized before. You know? And I began to reference what I see with what God has done. And it bolsters your faith. If God can do all this, if God has this kind of creative power, if this God has this kind of creative nature in bringing us all kinds of different kind of animals and colors and shapes and sizes of things and to create the universe and all the stars in it and he knows everything that's going on and he's holding it together by his power, what can he else, else can he do? These are nothing to God that I'm talking about. He is so grand and great. So see, for a biblical faith accepts God's word, rests on God's character, and recognizes God's power. So then, faith is the evidence of that which is not visible now, but which shall become visible by God's powerful word as he moves through redemptive history now saying all that defining the essence of faith is inadequate that's why the rest of the chapter you know what it's about merely defining faith is not enough so scripture provides us a long list of examples of people who lived by faith all through redemptive history, and finished the race and went to be with God. You know what? And it says in many passages, without receiving the promise. Now, what does it mean? It means by faith they had the promise, but they didn't see it yet. But you know what? If they've gone on, they've seen it. So see, it's setting up for us this context in this chapter which we're going to see incredible people just living regular lives by faith. But you're also going to see that in that faith, you can recognize their acceptance of the Word of God. You're going to recognize their resting upon and knowing the character of God, and they're going to recognize that God's able to pull it off. He's able to do it way far beyond that we could ever imagine. Amen? So, why should we fear? I want to end with this. The Bible's going to give living examples of faith. But is there any living examples of faith today? Well, I came across a pastor, actually a pastor who lives in this area, lived in this area. He got diagnosed with cancer, pastored for most of his life, all of his life. And uh, he said that I was reading Psalm 40, and he says, it has been a great encouragement to me as I have sought to walk with the Lord. He's so wonderful, and he has been so faithful to me. On August 4th, he was told that he had days, maybe weeks to live. He was not afraid of death, just of the pain. And he said this, I can't wait to see what heaven looks like. I am so excited. God made it for us to enjoy 
and I want to go there. My friend, that's faith. How did he know there's a heaven? How did he know he would go there? He said this, I'm just trusting in Jesus who had forgiven my sins and made me his child. And he said this, I know beyond the shadow of doubt where I'm going and I want everyone else to know Jesus so they can go there too. And he died. Pastor Bob Basham, my wife works with her, his wife, went on to be with the Lord. Years of growing in faith produces that kind of response in the face of death. That's what God wants you and I to do. That's how he wants us to live. That's how we please him. Because without faith, it's impossible to please the God that we say we serve. Let's pray. Lord, this morning I ask you to help us We all need greater faith. I just pray, Lord, that you would deliver us from the indictment that we have too little faith. And Lord, establish in our heart the very things that are needed to make our faith strong, firm, steady. That it can't be moved one way or the other because we have been established in the very things that Scripture teaches to make our faith what it ought to be. Lord, make us people who, when you observe our life, that we are pleasing to you and have a good report. And I pray, Lord, that our faith from this day forward would just get stronger and stronger and greater and greater than ever before. And I just pray, Lord, like the ancients of old and like this local pastor, that we too, when faced with diversity, adversity, and faced with trials, and faced with even death, that we can be confident that we know we're going, we know what you've done and what you've promised, and we simply rest and trust in your character, we believe in your word, and we know that your power is so great, it can pull off all that you say. And I pray that we would live there. Thank you, Lord, for such a book like this. Thank you, Lord, for challenging us today in faith. And I pray, Lord, if there's someone who doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, today they may come and confess before you their sin and believe in you as their Lord and Savior. Please do that, Lord. Always do that. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.